This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. Today's guest is Donna Spina. Now, Donna helps businesses and leaders distinguish themselves from others. Donna and I have known each other for a little over a year, and we got connected on LinkedIn. And we've talked a couple of times about what she does and how she helps people. What I found really interesting is the fact that she doesn't really do this by just getting a cookie-cutter approach that she tells everyone to follow. It's not some prepackaged program or something that everybody can just pull off the shelf and use. Instead, she does what we have talked about on this podcast since its inception, really. She helps people find out what is special about them or their business so they don't get lost in the crowd. She's looking at their strengths. She's looking at what is it about them that separates them from others. Now, Donna is an internationally recognized business and marketing breakthrough strategist, an associate contributor to the Six Figure Coach Magazine. She's also a coach, marketing consultant, business consultant, social media consultant, speaker, and a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. So without further ado, Let's welcome Donna J. Spina to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you today, Donna? I'm great, Mike, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Well, it's going to be great because I think this is going to be beneficial to a lot of people. Because you do so much, I really am interested on how you got to where you are today and why you're so passionate about what you do. Oh, wow. That's, that's uh, an interesting story. I'll do the Reader's Digest version. Um, in college, I was pre-med, biology major, nutrition minor, but it wasn't until I was getting ready to graduate that I realized my fear of blood was going to prevent me from really pursuing um, a career along those lines, and I didn't have a plan B. After a few years of working in some medical offices, I found myself in business with my then partner, and he and I created a company that neither one of us had ever done before. It was a home improvement, landscaping, property management, and janitorial uh, company. So it was baptism by fire to be thrown into the business world when I had never even contemplated that. I always grew up with the concept of get a good education, get a good job. Never Being an entrepreneur never crossed my mental radar. And I learned a lot during the course of that. We came quickly successful, but accidentally we accidentally stumbled into the, at the pain points that consumers view in those, that, that type of industry, and we accidentally rose above them. So uh, just like life always has a beginning, a middle, and an end, that came to an end, and when I moved on to other businesses, I was responsible for helping transition people out of jobs into a new occupation that was also entrepreneurial, and again, I saw they were they were having trouble with understanding the pain points of the clients they were going to be serving and their identity uh, as they were transferring from a job into the entrepreneurial. And it dawned on me that that's what I had been through with my own business. Uh, we accidentally formed an identity without purposely doing it. We accidentally came across pain points, addressed them, which, which underwrote our immediate success. success. But... If you don't understand those key elements, you're not going to create a sustainable business. 
So as a result, uh, I went to uh, coaching school, decided to become a small business consultant and bring other leadership tools into that. But my focus was to help the small business owner make them understand what they do differently. Just because they're uh, a house painter doesn't mean they're every other house painter. Doesn't mean just because they're a restaurant owner in a certain type of food doesn't mean that they have to be the same as anybody else that, that also has that type of business. Too many people, new business owners, or even seasoned ones, neglect to really understand what they do that's extra special for their client base. As a result, they don't create what I call a market-dominating position. So when they advertise themselves, they sound like just everybody else that does what they do. And that leaves the consumer, who are, by the way, Mike, extremely well-educated these days because of the internet and the ability to do a lot of research and teach themselves about certain things that they're interested in participating in or buying in. And if the small business owner doesn't understand who they serve, what they bring to the table that specifically addresses who they serve and what complication or problem in in their lives they need to have solved, they don't know how to verbalize that in their marketing messages. So I found that the first time business owners go out and they start to structure their marketing messages or their marketing platforms, uh, websites, LinkedIn profiles, business cards, brochures, before they understand that. And then once I bring it to light of them coming to greater grasp of who they are in their business, who they serve, and what specific value they deliver, and they look back on the marketing materials that they spent a large amount of money on, it's time to tear them up and start over again. So that kind of is a short story on how I have become so passionate about business owners understanding very early on in their business career those specific elements to maintain sustainability because from the Small Business Administration, the life expectancy of any new business can be extremely short and that can ripple into somebody's life as a huge failure. And then that leads to another process they have to go through to recover from that. When I find that story really interesting for a couple of reasons, one, because it's the journey you took to kind of get where you are, but I found a couple of things I picked out of there that really have a lot in common with what we've talked about so far. And the first thing is that they don't seem to understand what they do differently. Now, this is interesting from a a social standpoint and a group standpoint, because a lot of times we think that, hey, we start our own business and we're different and it's us and that we can make all these changes on the fly and we can do what we need to to be successful. But your experience and really the science behind it really shows that people identify themselves as a role. They assign behaviors to that that role and that's how they behave. But what I've seen and what I, I hear from you is that that also happens to businesses. So you might start a you know, house painting company or a fence building company or a, a boutique on uh, you know, downtown, something like that. But everything you know about running that business, you get from what's going on around you. And it seems like people can fall into this rut. Basically, they adopt the culture of that business and it keeps them from seeing what really does differentiate them from others? Is that kind of what I'm, I'm gathering from you? Oh, you're exactly right. The very first coach I ever came across was a life coach. And she shared with me that what comes as a gift to our, our, ourselves is so easily, um, we don't acknowledge it. 
it comes to us too easily. And I use this example. If you're a born organizer and every place in your office, or your home, everything has a place and you know where everything is. And then someone who is not a born organizer walks into your office or your home and is mesmerized. How can you be this organized? And the organized person can't comprehend why it's so hard because it, it's a natural gift. Business owners, same thing. They're starting a business or they're in their business and they want to write about a blog. They want to put content on their website. What do they do? They go to other comparable businesses and see what they're saying and then adopt some of that information, which is the shortcut to get the job done, but it isn't necessarily the long-term best solution for that business owner to understand their own identity within the business and then how to expand on that and communicate the message and educate their clientele on why it is they are the best ones to come to. And it's not based on price comparison. Well, and it sounds like what what's happening here and what you're pinpointing, this affects businesses and affects small businesses. I see it affecting large corporations, but it also seems like it can be an internal issue with larger companies too. I mean, if they're if they don't understand their own identity and they're maybe they're adopting a new process they saw their competitor using, something like that, but they don't make it their own, it seems like we can fall in that same trap and we can fall in the same trap even as leaders that individually at that level, we may also be adopting what others are doing. We feel like we're getting the job done. We feel like we're doing a lot. Uh, it's almost like we might be a... Um, like a car with a really loud exhaust, but a poor engine, it sounds like it's doing a lot, but it's really not going anywhere. Exactly. It kind of seems exactly. like that, that idea impacts the individual, impacts small businesses and startups and, and entrepreneurs and things like that. But it can also impact our larger organizations, even internally with things like safety and internal communications and, uh, the culture we're dealing with where if you don't kind of find what sets that organization apart, you're going to fall into that same trap. But instead of clients having the issue and really instead of clients having that issue, now you have maybe your, your workforce, your millennials, your, you know, the new people coming in that feel like, Hey, there's nothing different between this company than that company. So why should I stay? It sounds like this issue of, of really being distinguishable from others is a problem that, that a lot of people have to deal with regardless of the group they belong to or the size of their organization. I agree totally. I actually have a prospective client. They've been in business for more than 20 years. They operate between multiple states. They construct a, a specific product. They're redesigning. They're getting themselves out of an old methodology of running their company into a more current day methodology and they're starting all over again. And I overheard one of the owners at a meeting say that they were really struggling with wonder, understanding and how to verbalize what made them unique. And I sent him a document, it was actually a workbook on um, how to self-diagnose that with his other partners. And I catch, caught up with him a while later. I said, was it helpful? He said, yes, because it was so much harder than we, the three of us thought. Uh, it would be. And there's a, a multi-million dollar company that has about three partners, more than 20 years old, that operates between multiple states. As an outsider looking in, I would never expected them to be struggling like that, but they are. So it does have a trickle-down effect. When I work inside of companies, 
and uh, someone is being promoted from maybe a manager level to senior leadership status, they are, they don't know, they're bringing along that management suitcase with them. They don't know they have to unpack that and put new skills and mindset processes in to now, now up level to a, a different level of leadership. So as a consequence, in the course of identifying what is more distinctive, I use some tools and they, they're probably some that you're familiar with. One that I particularly lean on hard is called DISC. It's a behavioral style assessment, self-assessment, and it's the four styles, D, I, S, and C. So you understand what natural style or tendencies you have, but more importantly, you learn what other people are. Uh, and that is important for you to better communicate. The biggest, other than identity, issues within companies, whether it's small business or corporate, um, communication can lead to an awful lot or lack thereof can lead to a lot of complications needlessly. Well, and I just, I I found that that reference to DISC pretty interesting just because of the fact that it is behavioral and we're talking about, I haven't heard you say anything about budgets or how you should set up your structure or what kind of policies you should implement you're really talking about the people. So um, as we kind of move move on here and, and allow you to finish your thought, but it really sounds like your business, your coaching, your consulting is people-focused. Is that where you see the strength in businesses and leadership and corporations is really focusing on the people? Is that what you are seeing, bringing people out of this rut and shining light on what distinguishes them? Is it really the, a focus on people? Yes, exactly. Because after all, we're people first in all of our businesses, whether we like it or not. And ultimately, once I get them to help them get a handle on those internal soft situations, then we can learn how to do the other business structures. Yes, I'm all about budgets and processes and systems uh, and understanding return on investment and understanding how to lead with revenue, not expense, because my background in accounting screams that. It also is a huge piece maintain your business in a sustainable way, how to price it appropriately, not discount uh, to get the customer um, so that you develop loyalty and superiority with your product and value within yourself. So that is all that comes next after we get through the initial stages. And it also requires the individual to acknowledge different changes within themselves because we're never the same person today. We were five, 10, 15 years ago. So that individual has to acknowledge who they are right now. So then I have to guide them, support them into uh, the transfer or transition into making these other, adopting these other changes in their life and in their business. Well, and it really sounds like everything that you're doing really comes back to your goal of trying to help people figure out what distinguishes them from others, what makes them special. And this is really fascinating to me because it really comes down to some of the things that I've talked about before on this podcast, which is the social drivers that actually impact human decision-making. It's that need for social esteem. It's that need for purpose, a need to, to really be part of something bigger than your than yourself. So as we move into this concept of distinctiveness, now we all know, everybody listening knows, I mean, we, we see it every day, 
there is a ton of noise out there on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it. There is a lot out there, a ton of information that people are, they think they're filtering through it, but really what you're doing is it sounds like you're helping people figure out what makes them special, which instead of filtering through the noise, it actually sounds like it brings them to the top and makes them more, more visible, which can impact their clients, their customer base, their employees. It can impact all of these different things that will ultimately transition into their position in the marketplace. So this notion of distinctiveness, how important is that to, to businesses and to leaders? You're spot on, Mike. I read in uh, an article somewhere that on any given day, each one of us is subject to a minimum of 60,000 pieces of stimuli. So talk about white noise. About 3,000 of those are marketing related. So when you're a business owner, if you don't understand what makes you distinctive, how do you stop a prospective client in their tracks to stop, look, and listen? To what you have to say. You have to interrupt them. You have to, say, you have to say something in such a good way that they want to respond back. Um, then you have to educate them as to about the industry, uh, how you understand their problem, how, how the solution can possibly be their saving grace. And then you have to be able to offer them something compelling, 10% off, $10 off, $100 off, whatever that is, Sets you, makes you step back into that same price differentiation situation. It's planning a strategic process. Tactical is trying to get people from point A to point B, point A to point Z in one giant step. Strategic is how do you walk with that prospect in their journey to ultimately become your customer in the minimal amount of touch as possible. In traditional marketing, it can take maybe a hundred touches before you get somebody to turn around and take notice of you. That takes a lot of time and an awful lot of funding for that, uh, for that to happen. So if you do it well, you implement a strategic, well thought out marketing campaign that walks along the buyer's journey. And you're not only catering to the right now buyers, you're catering to those that are still pondering it, that maybe want to buy in the future at some point, you're going to get better results and you're going to spend less money. And there's going to be a heck of a lot less stress in your business because let's face it, the biggest reason that businesses go out is out of business is because they're undercapitalized. That's cash flow. So, yes, you have to bubble to the top like cream, so to speak. Not leave money on the table by discounting your services and have a well thought out plan. And sometimes that alone, just the, the word plan, can be a four-letter word for some business owners. But it is a necessary evil. Well, and I think a lot of people, you know, they, they get in this mode of, hey, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, and they think that means shooting from the hip, that sort of thing. And we see the same thing within organizations with leaders of certain uh, components of the organization or that sort of thing where they feel like they already know, so they feel like they can just kind of use their experience to just kind of move forward and get things done. But the, the fact that you focus on a plan, yeah, it doesn't sound sexy or glamorous or anything like that or exciting, but reality is having a plan that focuses on what distinguishes you from 
from others does seem like a, it has a lot of, of benefits to it. So when you're trying to develop this plan for people, I mean, you actually have to interact with them and have a relationship with them that they don't shut down, that you have to be careful with your words and the questions you ask and that sort of thing. So when you're trying to get people to see or adopt this new view, this new perspective, put on a new lens on how they can see themselves or their business, how do you start that journey? What kind of conversations do you have or what kind of questions do you ask? How do you get people to start seeing things differently? You know something, Mike, not to sound anything less than humble, but I think that is one of my gifts. I have the ability to sit down with people and I love to learn about them and provide the safe, trustworthy environment. Um, Whatever we discuss is is strictly confidential. Whether they are actively paying me a paying engagement or we're just having a, a conversation and I have the ability to, to read between the lines of what they're not saying and then gently ask some more questions around that, that specific point in a way that doesn't feel threatening. I learned a long time ago that children don't appreciate being told what to do, even if it's in their best interest, and neither do adults. So I ask a lot. And even when I have information that I know will help them, I suggest, don't tell, I suggest that they consider this. Now, I respect the person as they've gotten to this position in life, not because of incompetence. It's because business owners at some point outgrow their natural abilities and skill set. Sometimes they're reluctant to reach out for help. Sometimes ego stands in the way of wanting to pay somebody else to help them. Um, But the truth is, We don't know what we don't know at any point in time on any specific topic. So I, I gracefully incorporate that so that I target, you know, if they have some kind of little subtle self-esteem issue or little self situation where it's confident or they're struggling so much and they're hearing the voices in their head of their significant other telling them, we've done this for so many years, you're, and you're still struggling. Why don't you just close your doors and get a real job? So I realize that that's also some sort of underlying concern that they have. But to, to, I really have had great success with helping my clients or prospective clients just feel as though they can talk openly to me. And uh, I often say, hey, listen, my life is far from perfect. So there's no way I should judge you. Well, and I think this is pretty interesting because what you've said is a couple of, of really important things. One is the fact that you need to create, when you have these conversations, a safe and trustworthy environment. So that that environment where we trust each other, where we believe each other are, are there for the benefit of the person. I mean, I think that's pretty huge because that environment is something that all organizations and all relationships and teams, they should all strive for that because it allows that level of engagement and you get so much more value from that level of engagement, whether it's employee engagement, client engagement, friends uh, being engaged with each other, any relationship where two people are trying to deal with a situation or come up with a better solution, that level of engagement is important. Now, another thing you said is that you ask questions around their, maybe their point of view in a way that doesn't seem threatening, that you're careful not to 
tell them what to do, but maybe suggest or have them consider something. But you said you do this with a tremendous amount of respect for the person. And I think a lot of leaders out there, supervisors, managers, that sort of thing might be able to get some benefit from hearing a little more about how beneficial that is because so many times, especially in large organizations with strict hierarchies and policies, it's a lot of this top-down stuff. And nowadays, employees are just losing engagement. They're losing respect for the workplace. They don't feel like the workplace is a, a purposeful, driven place to be. But I think with some of these lessons that you've, you've talked about so far, I think that could help a lot of people. What do you what kind of advice do you have for us when we're trying to have these conversations? Maybe we are pushing down a policy from corporate or something like that. How do we create this environment that is that is safe where employees can can discuss and where managers can listen so that employees do feel engaged, just like your clients feel engaged? Do you have any tips for us that might oh, help us out? Actually, I have a short story. I think as a child, I got... Uh, little messages of what ultimately my life purpose would be. But as a, as a kid, you don't, you don't understand that. My mother told me once, she said, why is it, Donna, when I, I have to ask you two and three times to do something, your father asks you once and you do it immediately. The reason is my mother demanded it in such a way that with my specific personality, that was the wrong way to communicate with me. My father would say, he would call me by my nickname. He'd say, hey, monkey, would you come and help me? And I think that was a huge difference because na my natural tendency is to want to help. And when asked to do something that obviously is not illegal, immoral, unsafe, or does harm to myself or others, um, I just want to jump right in and do the best I can to help. So that's one example that the leaders have to be able, like that was my dad showing me that he needed help. And it didn't matter if, if I said, like, why do you need help? You're an adult. You should be able to do it yourself. Leaders have to remember that. They have to so show some degree of vulnerability to their staff to ask for help and allow the, the, the staff to have a voice. That was something else that I learned in my life is that I was usually more in a support role rather than a leading role. And it dawned on me that I, didn't, I could speak up if I didn't want to, didn't agree with something. You don't have to say it argumentatively. You can say it in a diplomatic form, but I, I needed to be heard and I wanted my viewpoint to be heard. That too has to be allowed in the workplace. And the other thing is the leader has to say what they mean and mean what they say. Uh, as parents, we're supposed to lead by example for children. Fast forward that to the workplace, the same modality exists. The leader can't insist that the workforce do one thing and then be hypocrite and do something else. Uh, and the other thing is um, trust. It probably precedes everything above. If you don't feel as though you're in a safe place, that you can have a conversation with the appropriate people and it's not going to boomerang backfire in a painful way, that business is, is going to never reach their maximum potential. So we're all hu human beings show up in the workplace and it's communication between each other, understanding how to recognize what language each of us needs to be talked, talked with, not just English, Spanish, French, German, what psychological language we need, how we need to be spoken to. That can really soften and break down those barriers. I was working with a client 
and she was responsible for fundraising for a private school that dealt with children with learning needs, specific learning needs. And she had been working with her team for a couple of years, and she noticed that there was these periodic cold wars where when her team, when they were functioning super well, they were like gangbusters, really, really collecting in money. But when they'd, they'd have these hiccups, nobody would be talking to each other. And she'd be left with like a blank stare. She didn't understand what was going on. And the reality of it was, even though we speak to others, usually in the way that we want to be spoken to, we're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about our audience. Just like the business owner, it's not about the business owner in their business. It's about who they serve and speaking to them in a language that who they serve is is responsive with. So once I helped this particular client understand how her teammates were taking in her words and feeling them, then she started to be more mindful of what she said and when. She was never, uh, her intentions were never to insult or upset her team. She was just, again, speaking to herself as she would want to be spoken to. And that's not, not in business. You have to consider who's across the table. Well, it does sound like communication is a huge part of what you do and how you help people. So in your experience, I know when you try to get change in people, I know when you try to change a human being or change a person's perception or get them to do something different, any type of change actually causes a little bit of stress on people. Now, a lot of what you do is all about communication. So how do you, how do you manage that? that stress that might keep people from doing what they need to do or might have them procrastinate or might have them not want to make some of these changes. What kind of things have you been able to do to, to kind of help them along, maybe slowly transition them or turn that direction a little more gently to either deal with that stress in a more positive way or help them realize what the stress is doing to them. How do you actually get them to operationalize that change when really as human beings, we, we know change is inevitable, but we have, in a lot of cases, we have difficulty actually changing. Have you, have you had any success with that and any tips you can give us on how to maybe manage those relationships and that change? Well, you know, Mike, um, that's where my biology and nutrition degree comes in handy because I consider myself a whole, I have a holistic approach when I work with a client. I look at them in their entirety. When you understand your distinctiveness, that usually is tied into your own story, which creates a big why. So, of course, there's going to be stress in everyday life, and stress is going to impact your ability to try new things or procrastinate tasks that you know are important to do, but they're not your favorite or your skill set. It's going to impact being efficient or proficient. Um, or even doubt your own decision-making or start to question bigger things like why did you even consider taking on this larger role in this company or taking on this business? So I, I bring them back, back down to our starting place and help them re- recall what was it in their life that brought them to this point and what's their driver? Because after all, we have to understand that driver to get ourselves up and running every day. We're not always running on 12 cylinders or always on a scale of one to 10, 10 being our best, a 10 every day. So we need to have those triggers, reminders, to, what to trigger to bring us back to that state 
And the other issue, we have to understand that as we start to move forward and achieve whatever it is we feel compelled to achieve, there's going to be a few people or a few things that we have to leave behind. And it doesn't mean it has to be in an, in an unattractive way. It just means that we're opening ourselves up to other people that can better support us at whatever new level we now are landing so that we continue to move forward. Again, we were trying to chase that ultimate reason that we feel as though we need to exist or what we need to attain before the clock runs out on our lives. That's where um, I, I help them understand what they need to do to take care of themselves in the process. And that could be, uh, I was a yoga and Pilates teacher for many, many years, and my background was also in dance. So I'm all about expending physical energy to dispel stress. So I might encourage my client to do some sort of fitness that they enjoy or meditation, mindfulness, just taking a time out, pre-scheduled, like a doctor's appointment, you schedule it in your calendar and you don't break it so that you can recharge and regroup internally to, to stand a little taller and get back into the um, whatever the matter is that you need to push forth on. Well, and that's a lot of great advice there about how fitness plays a role and mindfulness and really trying to recenter yourself. And, and even it's still, when I heard you talking, I still visualized all of this noise around us, but that noise could be internal. So you have all these stressors that might be keeping you from making decisions, that sort of thing. And it really, it sounds like even internally, you still bring us back to this notion of distinctiveness, this notion of what makes you special. And I like what you said earlier, which is it's it's a trigger to help you refocus. And it really sounds like that notion of distinctiveness not only applies to what we want to do in the future, how we want to accomplish things, where we can distinguish our business or what we can do to stand in the marketplace. But under these times of stress, during change, during transition, when you're trying to get something done, when maybe there's a lot going on at work, it sounds like distinctiveness inside is still a tool people can use to be able to recenter themselves and, and deal with some of those stressors and really cut out that, that noise around them that may not be the most important. No, I agree with you. I call it you know, keeping the uh, control of the internal and external chaos because those ping pong balls that are going off on our head, they distract what the reality is of what reality is truthfully happening. Um, yes, you have to bring yourself to a, a quiet internal place to better evaluate what's going on, situationally speaking, outside of yourself. Well, so as we kind of close out this episode, I mean, it really seems like everything was centered around this notion of distinctiveness. Now, I would just ask, is there something If somebody may be listening to this? There's a lot of value in there. It seems like distinctiveness in finding what makes you special or what makes your, your business special or what will make it stand out really takes some self-reflection. Is there one tip? Something somebody listening to right now that when this episode is over, they can start doing or when they wake up tomorrow morning, it's something they can try. Is there one piece of advice you can give us or one tip or one trick or something that can maybe start them down this road of mindfulness or figuring out what it what makes them distinct, what distinguishes them from others or what is it inside of them that they need to pull out and focus on as their wise or something that they can do to take that first step or to help them in their daily life? 
Yes, if they're in business, seek feedback from your existing customers, clients, patients as to why they specifically chose you and your business to have whatever goods or services and actively listen. Then go to your appropriate inner circle of qualified business advisors, and they might just have that, that title loosely, and ask them as well what they see in you. And then if you want to take it one step further, you can do it with your close family members. But again, you have to qualify that because family can be subjective. They don't want to say anything. Family and friends may not want to say anything to harm the relationship or insult you or hurt your feelings. So you have to qualify that. And then when you take that feedback, start to look for themes and see what seems to come up the most. When I did this with my clients, this is what came back consistently. I disrupt their thinking, but in a positive way. I don't make them real in pain, but I disrupt their thinking and I help them look at what's going on in their lives from a different vantage point. And often it's like, oh my goodness, I never thought of it that way. So that was, was a great realization uh, for me from the feedback I got. And the other thing is self-care is not selfish. Someone who was pursuing a d- degree in psychological counseling told me that a long time ago. We tend to make those two words as synonyms. It's not true. They're both different. That in order for you to best serve others, you do have to take care of yourself. If you're not, if you're sleep deprived, if you're uh, inhaling uh, cups and cups of coffee each day just to get through the day, you're not your best self and you're not going to do your best performance and you will lead yourself down a path where mistakes inevitably will happen and you'll question um, yourself or your confidence or self-esteem may be impacted. So it really is important that you take time out on an everyday basis, whether it be a few minutes or an hour or more, that you pay attention to what's going on in your body and what your body's telling you. So that that would be the feedback and self-care would be my two points. Well, that is really good advice. I really love what you said there because it goes back to a lot of the stuff we've talked about, not only this episode, but past episodes, the fact that you really need to be self-aware. And part of that is having that tight inner circle, that trusting relationship with other people that give you honest feedback because they really want the best for you. They're not trying to bring you down. They're actually trying to raise you up by giving you that honest feedback you need. And then being able to really take care of yourself really also comes back to self-awareness, that we need to be aware that we aren't superhuman, that we're not machines, that yes, we do have to work hard and we do have to hustle. We have to do all of those things people are saying nowadays, but you can't do it forever. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not being the most effective you can. So that's all great advice. And I think there's a lot of value in everything you've said and people may want to reach out to you. So what other services do you offer? How do people get a hold of you? How do they find out more about you? What's the best way to contact you? Well, my website is coachingindeed.com. As it relates to this particular program, I would like if your listeners wanted to reach out to me via email, they use info at businessbuilderaccelerator.com. 
The other services I render, obviously, are communication and leadership-based. I am DISC-trained, which is the uh, personality or behavioral profile I mentioned earlier. I also have a really, an excellent leadership assessment that I piggyback on DISC to help specifically, specifically teams function better together. Um, I work primarily with small business owners that are stuck or struggling trying to exceed their, their existing goals, and they don't quite understand why. And it's for the reasons, many reasons above that we just talked about. Um, I, so what I would encourage your listening, listeners, if they really want to understand the psychology behind the marketing that they need to do a strategic plan for their business, to reach out to me, and I'd be happy to give them a complimentary 45-minute consult. Well, that's all great information. I'll make sure I put the links to the website and to your email all in the show notes. People can go right there to get in contact with you. Check out some of the stuff you're doing over at coachingindeed.com. Donna, thank you so much for coming on. This episode has had a ton of value in it. I really appreciate you giving us some of that insight. Oh, the pleasure was all mine and the honor was all mine too, Mike. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, everybody out there for listening. If you get a chance, I'd love it if you could visit me at CrucialTalks.com. You can use that to reach out if you have any questions at any time. You can also connect with me on email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever is easiest for you. And if you need anything or would like me to speak to you, your organization, whatever, please reach out. I'm always here for you. Thank you for listening. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.